Hello and welcome to episode 26 of the Movies in a Podshell podcast. The podcast where we pretty much do whatever we want, but this time we've got a June spoiler cast for you. Um, we've decided to pair it. Originally, we were thinking about going for some intellectual sci-fi as coined by my co-host, um, as per usual. Um, I don't know what to call him because I hadn't thought that far ahead. It's John, and you can call him John. So, hi, John. Hi. Sorry, that was, a, that was not a very good introduction, was it? That's two two pods on the bounce with poor intros. I, I feel like you need to get some ready beforehand, but it's fine, it's fine. Yeah, we, I we should... I was so so busy scrambling preparing for the pod that I'd forgotten to give you a nickname. Just so to give, sorry. give you a little bit of insight into this week's pod. Uh, so we said we were going to do a June spoiler special. Great. And I think when we did the Snyder Cut... And we, we are. And we, and we, we are, are doing we are, June, we are, That's what are. this is. But when we did the Snyder Cut, I think we just did the Snyder Cut because we banged on about it for so long. I don't think we, we didn't. We didn't. No, we paired it. We did pair it. Did we? What did we pair it with? I think we paired it with Daredevil, director's cut. Did we? Yeah. Oh. Oh, yeah, we did. Oh, well. Daredevil director's cut. Yeah, we did. I don't, I, I don't know. Well, anyway, whatever. So all of a sudden... But John, what are we pairing it with this week? What a wild pairing. <laughs> we are pairing it with Tick, Tick, Boom. Now, you might say, what is the link? The link is, it's what John's watched this week. So, no, it's, <laughs> it's, it's a new release. And essentially, really randomly, Arab Khaleesi did a post about saying Tick, Tick, Boom's great. Everyone should watch it, blah, blah, blah. I'm a Andrew Garfield apologist on this podcast many a time. So why are we apologising? Because he's so good. Yeah, actually, I said this. I'd said the nothing same thing. to apologise for. Uh, yeah. So yeah, so I thought I'll give it a go, and then I watched it, and I liked it. Oh well, we'll talk more and, about that later. And then yeah, I well, said, "Oh, Jamie, you sh- you should watch it." And then he messaged me saying, "I'm going to watch it." And then I thought, "Great." We're well, we were stressed out. We're we, were, we were so stressed out. Um, and and hello to Minwar, by the way, friend of the pod, who yes, has written you. in this week with some, a couple of banging questions actually so we're going to get into that soon um yeah so i've been i was thinking about june for ages and i was like this is going to be our intellectual sci-fi episode and i was like right we could have chosen um interstellar 2001 like yeah we um stargate um what else stalker from uh andre tarkovsky and i'm going to talk about that very shortly um because i've watched the first hour um (laughs) we can watch all of these things though there is time we for can. all of yeah. these films. It is fine. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. It's absolutely. Do you know what? Do you know? Do you know whose pod it is? It's ours. It's our pod, and no one's going to tell us what to stop telling me what to do. Uh, Alan Partridge reference there for you. So we decided to just go like the theme of the pod this week is new releases. What are you going to do about it? You're going to strap yourselves in and probably switch off on the second half of the pod because you haven't watched Tick Tick Boom. Uh, or listen to none of it, or stop after we've spoken about the films we've watched. Speaking of films we've watched, John, what have you been watching? Uh, uh, tick, tick, boom, <laughs> Dune, uh, and then not much you else. You Dune again, though, didn't you? So, so you watched seen Dune, Dune twice. twice. Yeah, I've um, seen it once. Forgive me. No, it's okay. I, I was really glad to see it again, to be honest, because the first time I was really overwhelmed. So it was quite nice to see it again a second time. And I have been reading the book, but we'll talk more about that later. Just holding my hands up i am about a quarter of the way through the book i am not i have not finished it so um anyway uh aside from that what have i been watching i watched uh some disco bond with jamie so uh we so together we did yes yeah the weekend before last uh i went over to jamie's and he said oh i'm really in the mood for a bit of bond and then he's got a bit of a gray area around the roger moores i don't think you've seen many of them for he's randomly watched for your eyes only when it was on in a bar the other week 
Uh, yeah. No, no, no. So I watched a few. Uh... Yeah, for your eyes oh. only. Oh yeah, yeah. Sorry, I've got the sorry. I've got that on my list, and I haven't put down the Bond that we did watch. So, but uh, I don't actually like that. Uh, so carry on. So we I did. So so we I went away to a this Viking burial, and like we said on the last pod, I watched for your eyes only. Rubbish. Yeah, but you yeah, it was just on in the background. But anyway, so I said, oh Jamie, a bit of disco Bond. So we watched the Spy Who Loved Me. The Spy Who Loved Me, for people who don't know, is the one with the white Lamborghini. Uh, sorry, with a whole oh, sacrilege. The white Lotus Esprit, which becomes a submarine. And yeah, it's fun, isn't it? We enjoyed it. Uh, yeah, we, uh, do you know what? It, it was perfect. I, I often associate films with certain times of the week and the day. So, so for example, a Sunday morning is a perfect time for a Western. Uh, but not maybe not the perfect time for like something like The Good, The Bad and The Ugly, but definitely perfect for like you just your standard old like bud becker western western type thing and i i often associate saturday afternoons with bond for some reason i just the perfect saturday afternoon film would you not agree it's i think it's because when i was younger they used to play them at like saturday at five o'clock on itv after like Airwolf. all the time after oh, yeah. Airwolf or thunder in paradise yeah. with hulk hogan I just yeah I used thunder to in paradise that was so yeah essentially not watched that much else apart from i finished finally atypical and uh yeah it's been an emotional few weeks so watching atypical's ending was pretty pretty bad but no i, I really enjoyed it again thoroughly recommend it four seasons and the quality didn't drop which i think is such a rarity these days we see uh, with series so that was cool uh so yeah what have you been watching um i have i've, I've got a few quite interesting films on here actually um as per usual, I've probably watched more than what's on this list because I often do forget to just log what I've watched. Um, so first of all, I so I got a a film noir box set from Arrow, um, and I started off the after the pod. I watched um, the Dark Mirror, which is Robert Seidmack, uh, nineteen forty six. Um, it's actually really good. Um, I'd, I'd recommend it. Um, it's one of the better noirs I've seen, to be honest. So, um, and we are in November, so allow me. Um, so basically it's about her her sister and her twin sister who's like a bit um, a bit of a nasty she's got a nice sister and nasty sister right Um, and one of them has murdered someone um, and the police can't figure out which one it is because neither of them are admitting it Um, and it's obviously the same woman um, so it is Olivia de de Havland that plays both of them and she's absolutely fantastic um and yeah it's just it's just uh that kind of thing like the, a detective trying to figure out which which sister it was none of them are owning up to it um and you're kind of as the viewer trying to figure out which one it was as well because they've both kind of got their reasons why they would have done it so i had loads of fun with that um so yeah that was the first of four films in that box set so i'm excited to get to the rest next um and friend of the show kate's gonna love this one um i watched robin hood prince of thieves isn't that the is that the one with Sam Neill? No. Alan no. Rickman. Alan Rickman, yes. Who's the I'm lead? Cosmo. with a spoon. It's he's um overacting. Um he's fantastic. Is it Kevin Costner? The, 
Yes, yes, yeah, Kevin it. Costner, not Sam Neill. Um, yeah, so um, I absolutely love this film. I absolutely love it. Um, it's nineties. It was um, directed by Kevin Reynolds, who also directed the masterpiece Waterworld um, and the Count of Monte Cristo. I've never but... seen Waterworld. That's one of those films I've just never seen. No, and apparently, the director's cut is good. Well, I'm saying it ironically. Yeah, it's supposed to be horrendous. Um, but it's got Kevin Costner, Morgan Freeman, uh, Mary Elizabeth, Christian Slater, Alan Rickman, just a really good cast. Um, I, th- it's, I think it's a maybe, I'm not going to say it's a guilty pleasure because I'm not guilty about it because I think it's fantastic. Um, I just, it's wonderful. It's Robin Hood. It's um, it's funny. Alan Rickman is perfect in it. He plays it like it's a black comedy, similar to um, Carrie. The uh, Oh, I thought you were going to say Charles Dance in uh, Last Action Hero. What he's well, yeah, having it well, up yeah. because he knows, Absolutely. he knows what Absolutely. he's doing. I love that. Yeah, it's fantastic. Um, I then watched In the Heat of the Night, which is a, like quite a famous film. That's directed by Norman Jewison, 1967 film. Yeah, so the film, so the film's about um, like an African American detective who's asked to investigate um, a murder in like what you would think was like a, quite a racist Southern American town. Um, they don't, I don't think they say what what town it's in, um, but it's again, it's in the 60s, so uh, I think pretty, I think. It was very racist in general, wherever you went in the 60s, uh, sadly. Um, but you've got Sidney Poitier, uh, who is in the train station. Um, the detective comes to kind of arrest him because someone's been murdered. Uh, he's he's not from that area, so gets taken down to the station. Uh, turns out he's actually um, a detective himself, like an, an, an actual specialist um, across the whole of the US um, of like basically finding finding killers um so it's it's a back and forth between the the racist police officers and sydney poitier trying to help them and it's it's really good i like i loved it it's a classic um so yeah i watched that and then um and then lastly um the other night well so two i watched mulholland drive david lynch now i've seen a few david lynch now is it a really really weird lynch or is it an accessible lynch it is um it the last 20 minutes leaves you like like pure chris nolan like what is going on i don't know like what's my name um the last 20 minutes so it's a it's a real it's so good um it's basically so obviously directed by david lynch you've got naomi watts uh laura harring uh justin theroux um naomi watts actually so she says to this day she owes her career to lynch for she said he saved her career and um, she was going for she'd gone for like ten years of um, auditions that failed auditions in Hollywood and and he gave her a chance and the way I watched the behind the scenes afterwards and the way the cast speak about Lynch is it's just beautiful like that they're so like he's he's amazing to work with apparently like really just caring um, nurturing director um, just fantastic so that film is about I mean it's again a classic modern classic um, it's about uh, so. Th- Naomi Watts' character comes into Hollywood um, and she wants to become a movie star. Um, and then you've got Laura Haring's character who is in a car accident. She's about to get shot, but then she's in a car accident. And then she has amnesia, so she has no idea what's going on. And so it, she ends up somehow um, in Naomi Watts' apartment and uh, they sort of form a relationship and she tries to help her. Naomi Watts tries to help her find out what's happened. And that, that's basically what the film is about. Um, obviously, as usual, like it's it's just a bit weird but not weird <laughs> just a bit weird that's the like, yeah. most biggest like understatement of a david lynch film just a little bit weird 
I, I mean, him as a director, like, I really like him. So I've, I've grown to, like, love him more and more the more films I've watched. So I would say his most accessible film is Blue Velvet or maybe Elephant Man. Um, I like Elephant yeah, Man. Yeah, Blue Velvet's fantastic. So I would I would definitely recommend that. Um, and then you've got like, Lost Highway, which is, like, really weird. That's more of the weirder ones. Um, and weirdly, directed June in 1970s. Um, Good link. Like it. No, good Lynch. Yeah, yeah, yeah never mind. Oh. And then, so, so before we move on, um, lastly, one of the pairing films that I was thinking, I was like, right, intellectual sci-fi. Let's go for like um, something I haven't seen. So, I was like, why don't we do like Stalker by uh, Tarkovsky, who's a Russian filmmaker? Can I just say before you start this, we yeah. watched this at college, and I remember we studied him because he had long shots to show to absorb you into the film rather than lots of cuts and i remember there was a sequence where they're like ah. under a bridge or something and then they're having a conversation the camera follows through follows through. it's amazing like the camera follows through, follows through. chat for a bit then some water comes down then yeah. there's rain there's the yeah. don't spoil it for me because i've only watched the first hour oh well i remember i need to i'd i'd have to revisit but i remember at the time thinking it was so slow i made 2001 seem quick right listen and that might help you actually that might help you when we watch 2001 maybe okay. it's prepped you but anyway i'm intrigued to see here sorry what you what you thought of it so i've watched the first hour right and i've got patience i really do have patience i, I can watch pretty much anything right um but and, 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 and if the writing's good if the writing's good i'll watch it um first of all i'm sitting there and i'm like this is gonna be a fa- this would have been a fantastic link because for starters, like the film starts off in that like sepia color palette, and I'm like, mm, Villeneuve loves a yellow. He loves a yellow, and then it, it goes to this. They're on this cart thing, right? Like this motorized cart, and there's uh there's a shot, like you just said, long shot. There's a shot at the back of this guy's head while they're on this cart, and I swear to God, it goes on for five minutes. Like, yep. like you are you are sitting on this cart with them in real time yeah. for five minutes to I'm absorb like, you into nah, the world. That's his style. No. Do you know what it is? It's disrespecting my time is what it is because the hour, it, the, the film's two hours, 40 minutes. So what am I going to see for the next, for the last hour, 40 minutes? You know me, I love, I love a 90 minute. It's, it's funny though, because I remember there's certain shots in films where you go, well, that's a really long take. And then you watch that film and you realise, not really, <laughs> you know, like in comparison. You know I mean, I, honestly, um, yeah. It's supposed to be a masterpiece. People, people, people say it's like masterpiece. It is stunning though, isn't it? As in like the, the cinematography wise i think it looks beautiful but interesting story about that it was a lot of that film was shot i don't know if it was a quarter or half of it and then it was on a new film stock which is the film stock that went on to make star wars that you sorry to shoot star wars etc 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 but in russia which is obviously russian director it was uh, taken care of over there they weren't used to that film stock so when they first produced it, it all came out green so the whole thing was just a mess and they had to go oh. back. They'd had an absolute pain in the backside because of the conditions of the set and where they were filming, the locations were really difficult to film on. There's really interesting behind the scenes pictures of them on gantries and like um, in really difficult, like nice. stuck in water all day, you know, you know that kind of jobby, like yeah, all the yeah. stuff and whatever. And then it was all unusable. It was completely ruined, Unreal. and they went again. They sacked maybe the maybe they should have maybe it should have stayed ruined. Um, <laughs> they, they sacked the cinema. <laughs> it ruined my night. They sacked like the the cameraman. I like they basically went up the chain and sacked everyone other than director and went again. Um, Look, it's interesting behind the scenes. Anyway, it, I mean, it's interesting the fact that you've pulled that out off the bat. Thank you so much. 
Um, and I'm, I'm sure the listeners will appreciate it as well because what you just said there is more interesting than what I watched last night. Um, it, it's weird. Like, I just, I just don't... Like, it's two hours, 40 minutes, and you're looking at the back of someone's head for five minutes. Stop it. I, again, I don't remember much else of his work. I don't know if we watched anything else to compare. So he's done Solaris. He's done Solaris. Th- the 70s one. I've not seen that one. All, all no, I know is he hated 2001 and Solaris was his answer to that. He said, let's see the, the crapped out version of that, basically. Like, well, let, may, maybe we need to that's do a pairing. A pairing. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a fantastic pairing. But Solaris um, is supposed to be good. I remember my dad raving about Solaris back in the day, the original. So should be good. Well, anyway, there we go. There we go. Um, so I guess it's, I guess it's on to the main film, which John's gonna, he's gonna have to carry me slightly because he's seen it one more time than me. Um, and it's been a couple of weeks since I've seen it now. So, um, the film this week, as we've already spoke about, we're we're doing a June spoiler cast because we don't, we don't do spoiler casts very often. Um, but yeah, this is, this is going to be exciting. So take it away. My planet Arrakis is so beautiful when the sun is low. Rolling over the sands, you can see spice in the air. The outsiders ravage our lands in front of our eyes. Their cruelty to my people is all I've known. What's to become of our world? So, Jamie, when you first saw Dune, yeah, like how? First of all, were you one of these people who was really waiting for it, and you were like massively excited, or was it just kind of a? a, Do you know what I mean? Like, were you into the hype, or? Because I'll be honest, the film community on Instagram was far more excited about it than I was. It kind of hit hit me from sideways because I'd seen the seventies film. Sorry, the the David Lynch film and yeah, no, I haven't seen David Lynch. Film. So I I wasn't that weird. bothered about it. And then you know, and then I remember like Kate was posting about it all the time. Like everyone was like, "It's coming, it's coming, it's coming." And then yeah, I'm intrigued to see were you part of that or no, 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 because it's like it's not. To be honest, like sci-fi, as much as when I sit down and watch them, I thoroughly enjoy them. And I've seen I've seen most of the sci-fi films, like the the big sci-fi's, like except two thousand one. <laughs> so I was just and, and also the thing that did turn me off massively was the fact that Timothy Chalamet was in it and I was That's so true. sick and tired of seeing his face his chiseled face in in that mask and like the still images that people have been sharing for three years and I'm just like I'm so over it already so I, yeah, I just switched okay. off in the end so I, no no I wasn't really I probably felt similar to you uh, I guess the only do you know the only times I get excited for films is when Scorsese's releasing a new one Okay. Or we've got something like Ghostbusters Afterlife. Like I'm really looking forward to seeing that. Um, you're or, not a big Ghostbusters. Well, you're not really seeing. You've not I've seen, seen some pretty horrendous reviews of that film. I'm I'm intrigued to see how it I've goes. I've seen some good reviews. Okay, okay. We'll yeah, see. I think it's mixed. I think it's mixed. We'll see. Um, but yeah, Dune. So, Dune. Yeah. So I, I guess um, I watched it in IMAX. Yes, amazing. It is amazing in IMAX. Yeah, you've watched it in IMAX now, right? No. So really annoyingly, the first time I went to see it, I went to see it at the Everyman Cinema, uh, which is great, but it's not like a massive screen. And then intellectual the... sci-fi in an intellectual cinema, yeah? <laughs> not quite. And then the second time I saw it, <laughs> we saw it in one of the, I think it's iSense, so it's not the same as IMAX, but it is one of those larger larger screens, but not massive, massive. Yeah. But anyway, um, my first thoughts, and I think what I said to you and Kate at the time was, 
in terms of production budget and value to screen, in terms of delivering all the money on screen, I thought Dune is a standout example of where every penny that's been spent on that film, I feel like I saw. You know, the 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 world design, um, obviously referencing the book, but the costumes, the CG, all of it, it looked incredible, didn't it? From from you know from the first frame all the way through. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, yeah. the, the fact that the, the budget was 165 million probably helps. Um, well, no, we say 165 million, but um, I think that the Infinity War budget was 315 million. So, yeah, it, when you compare it to that kind of thing, like, and I know that obviously a lot of that money probably went on See. all the actors and stuff, but it's I, th- I think it's money well spent really nowadays. If you think a bl- big blockbuster, um, he's done it for 165 million. That is that's not bad. Before we go into the synopsis, the one thing I would say, my I had a few quick criticisms of the film. One, even for two hours thirty-five minutes, I do think the pacing slowed down towards the end. Yeah, I, I feel like uh, it, it was quite the start. There's a lot going on. Middle opposite, really ramps actually. up. Mm, I, I kind of think when yeah, there's a there's a cutoff point where it really slows down for me. But we will talk about that more shortly. And the other thing is, I was surprised how much Zendaya is in the marketing, considering she's in it for about. Oh my goodness! In yeah. my head, I said five minutes, but someone said it's more like eight minutes of screen time. But she's barely in it. And, <laughs> I mean, know. splitting hairs, really, aren't you? Uh, no, but I you was, know what I mean. I was astonished at how little she's in it yeah. because I love her. I think she's. However, and, like, what if I'd read the book? Maybe I'd have known that the point they were going to cut, she wasn't going to be in it much. You know, maybe that's my fault for not. I don't know. Just, just. A but I think thought. it's your fault. I mean, she's she's front and center of the marketing um front and center and she's she's in it she's in it and she does this like flick with her hair it like, reminds me of flick with her hair she's like, basically twice. just walking off into the sunset and turning around every so often she does it amazingly by the way and it is shot i love her no i love her she's, and the and blue she's eyes thing from the spice is like amazing oh, yeah. so anyway yeah. um yeah so brief synopsis i mean so this is a feature adaptation of frank herbert's science fiction novel um it's about the son of a noble family timothy chamelet entrusted with the protection of the most valuable asset and most vital element in the galaxy so that element is spice so basically it's it's kind of like it's all about the middle east and oil but we're not talking oil. about that it pretty much is oil isn't it like, yeah so and... if you if you think about sp- so yeah for, for your for your average listener it's like a dystopian it's like a distant future on a dystopian like kind of world like earth isn't really mentioned no um but spice is essentially the oil of that of that like so spice little... is needed for for interstellar space travel essentially and and we see basically that there are some large forces it's to... like drugs in it when you take drugs yeah you get that it... interstellar interstellar space travel yeah <laughs> it, it is though it is quite trippy it is yeah, yeah, yeah in yeah. the uh, david lynch one especially but by no. the way i'm just i'm not saying i take drugs by the way just want to I'm gonna, um, yeah. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying it's like that. I imagine, because I've seen films and read stuff. Just saying that. Good. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, so yeah, they um, basically Timothy Chalamet's character is part of the Atre uh, the Atreides family. Again, apologies for any poor. Oh, sorry. What's this. Timothy Chalamet's character called? <laughs> Paul. What the hell, man? What? So I've got this written down what? here. Why is he called Paul? His name's Paul. Paul. Like, why is his name Paul? Like, <laughs> couldn't not? it have been something like way more exotic, like um, S- Simlock? Like, his name's Paul. No, it's... Oh yeah. Oh, it's Barry. But oh, yeah. Do you know what's Barry... funny though? There's loads of people with normal names. Is like uh, Jason Momoa plays Duncan. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it, like it's... And then, uh, but then it's like Josh Brolin is 
Gurney Halleck. So it's a bit like quite a quite a shift. I just think like like um, I don't know. Oh yeah, uh, Paul Paul's just a uh, Paul's the chosen one. I'm like, give me give me a break. Like, what do you mean, Paul? <laughs> so yeah, that that I'll burst out laughing when I heard his name was Paul. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, I know what you're saying. Very funny to me. So yeah, essentially. We don't get a massive setup at the start of June. It really does throw you straight in, doesn't it? It's, oh, yeah, it does. You've not got any idea what's going on for You hear a, a bit of, like, uh, witchy whispering and a bit of weird score, and then we're in. Um, <clears throat> but, yeah, Timothy uh, Chalamet's character, Paul, is very much the chosen one, as in with all these films where we know it's a bit like a YA book. We know that at some point he's going to become a leader or what have you. He's from the yeah. the Atreides family, so his dad is Duke Leto, which is Oscar Isaac. Oscar Isaac with a beard looks amazing. I don't know if anyone's seen. He does, doesn't he? Yeah, like oh, I, I was authoritative. I was, huh? Authoritative. Authoritative. Yeah, yeah. Like so, I went to the cinema with uh, Vicky, and I was like, I, did, I even I whispered to, her, I was like, Oscar Isaac's pretty fit, and he like he's pre- like pretty good looking, like with that that beard, like he looks sick. And I love the bit when he says he wanted to be a pilot, and everyone's thinking of Star Wars. I know you shouldn't link the two, but when he said that, I was like, love that, that's cool. I'm sure yeah. it was probably in the book already, and not a nod, but if not, well, it was before great. Star Wars. Oh yeah, it was. We'll talk about the influence of Dune on Star Wars and science fiction later, because my yeah. God, there's massive links. Um, anyway, and then the character, my favorite character in the film, is actually Lady Jessica, who's played by Rebecca Ferguson. Beth yeah, Ferguson is in uh, most of the Mission Impossible films, which is to be honest, what I knew knew her from. Doctor Sleep, she's in Doctor Sleep, Sleep which yeah. is a decent film. Um, so yeah, her character initially is it says, you know, Paul, a lady's come to see you, or one of the old mothers of the Bene Gesserit. Is that how you say it? I don't want to say it wrong, but anyway, it's like a, a commune, uh, a commune. It's a, a like a religious order essentially, and they have an ability much like the force to uh control people by commanding them in a certain voice so at the start of the film we see that lady jessica's trying to train paul to use his voice to be able to command people but when i say command it's like in a creepy horror film way when it suddenly goes (laughs) pass the salt yeah (laughs) please sir pass the salt yeah it's uh, not quite it's in that like that double voice kind of thing like but it's modulated um, and it's got like a really low ebb and the subwoofer's kicking in massively kind of thing. Like, yeah, yeah. it's, yeah, I don't... A bit like Darth Vader I've heard, it, I've heard it before, yeah. I've, I've heard stuff like this before. Like, um, it reminds me a lot of um, Preacher, which is uh, a graphic, like, it's a graphic novel um, and it was made into a TV show. Uh, you quite like that, John. And it's basically where a, a guy has the voice of God so he can... Uh, he can have command someone to do anything. Yeah, yeah you'd yeah, like yeah. it. You'd like it. Cool. So, yeah, essentially that's the setup of, of that household. And uh, the Atreides house are told to move to Arrakis. And Arrakis is the planet, the, the Dune planet. And that's where all the spice is. We're told that that's where all the spice is. And it's usually ran by the Harkonnens. So, basically, we've got three three factions would you say jamie you've got the atreides which is like let's say the the good guys in inverted commas yeah. with uh with oscar isaac rebecca ferguson timothy chalamet you've got the harkonnens which is dave batista is like the big broad guy uh what's he called beast raban harkonnen and then he yeah. is led by the baron and the baron is played amazingly by oh i always get his name wrong stellan skarsgård is that how you say it yeah, that's good. Yeah. yeah, he's amazing in it. He, he plays. Is good. Yeah, he's fantastic. Oh, he's so Jabba disgusting in it. Just brilliant. Um, Just Jabba the Hutt, mate. Anyway, so yeah, they the Harklands used to rule Arrakis, and basically, uh, 
the Harkonnens have a deal with the Emperor. Yes, this sounds a bit like Star Wars and the Imperium. And they basically say the Emperor is jealous that people look to Atreides' household. Um, it's a political thing. So what they're going to do is they're going to move them to Arrakis and overthrow them by getting them all to move to the planet. And then uh, they uh, the Emperor teams up with the Harkonnens to overthrow them to to get rid of them. That's essentially the plot of the film. And the plot is... They all turn up on Arrakis, and guess what? They they do get uh, ambushed, but it's not much of an ambush because they know it's coming. That's yeah, another Jim. thing. It's like a weird plot point. They they basically spend the whole first act saying we know we're going to be ambushed. When we, we know we're going to get mugged off. Yeah, definitely. Arrive I mean, on Arrakis, get completely mugged off, and then yeah. we're all supposed to be surprised by it. It's yeah, it's a bit it's a bit odd. But look, yeah, um, that's mate. That's expertly the way you've described June how complicated it is that is expertly put well done like, i'm really sorry for it. anyone if i have lost you there it's just it is quite hard to simplify um but let's touch quickly on uh i love star wars like especially a new hope and the and empire those are like my two the original trilogy whatever return of the jedi is James better favorite. than a new hope Anyway. It's not my favourite, no, I prefer... Empire's my favourite, but Return of the Jedi, I prefer to A New Hope, yeah. I always knew that Star Wars had a lot of influence from Dune, from the book, and Lucas has said that outright, but only when I watch this do you realise how much... Oh, it's wild, How isn't it? much. So it's like, yeah. they mention the Imperium instead of the Imperials. Yeah. And straight away I'm like, okay, fine. And then it's talking about the Emperor, and I was like, okay, Emperor, fine. Yeah. The Baron, as you said, very like Jabba the Hutt. He's more evil, but like yeah. similar vibe. Sandy Desert. Sandy, the very Sandy Desert waste. And the worms, because there's the worm in Star Wars. in the, Like the Sarlacc pit's very similar. Yeah. Uh, and then, to be honest, the other links could be, for me, I think the voice that the Benny Gesserit have, which Paul Atreides, Timothy Chalamet's characters inherited, is very much like learning the Force. He's learning how to use it, and he can influence yeah. people, much like the Jedi mind trick. So there's a lot of similarities to be had. They even have these shields, which isn't it in Star Wars, but, you know, and it's all about blade combat. They don't seem to yeah. have many, like, guns. They, they, it's insane, isn't it? Like, yeah. it's insane. Like, it's almost like you, you almost feel like, like Star Wars, you, Star Wars is a bit cheapened by it, isn't it? Because it's like... I feel bad for Dune for not being able to get a film as good as Star Wars out first. Do you know what I mean? So we'd all associate it with that yeah. rather than being like, oh, yeah. Star Wars, Star Wars, Star Wars. Whereas realistically... Like in Lucas's defense, he has outright said the influence. He's not like, no, it's nothing like it. No, like, and he, you're always going to have influence. It, so. Like, look at look at um, like if you think Lord of the Rings was written in the 30s, right? And every single like like literally the 1930s, um, I think or it might have even been before that, but it was even after, still, you've got it was right after World War One, wasn't it? Because it was reaction to World War One, I, I believe. Yeah, yeah, but anyway. you've, so you've got but you've got like goblins, elves, that kind of thing. So pretty much almost every like science fiction not science fiction but fantasy novel with dragons and stuff has like stemmed from lord of the rings and of course sim- and, and i would say that dune is probably it seems to me that that has like that is the original sci-fi kind of novel yeah isn't I, it i mean look there yeah and there's nothing wrong with that but again it just someone raised the point in one of the reviews they said it's really hard to be as overawed by June as you should be because a lot of it you have seen before and it feels yeah, it's sad, it's, so sad it's yeah, sad, sad for me that it's because of these other things but anyway um one of the things I really like about the film is the production value is really clear with where you are based on the sound design the music and the look 
So when you're, my favorite bits of the film when you're on the Harkonnens planet. So the Harkonnens are like a warrior race. They look like if anyone's seen the Warhammer 40, 40 AD, right, or whatever it's called, Warhammer Forty Thousand. You know, in the massive uh, yeah, 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 mech yeah, suit the space kind marines. Of so the space, space marines, marines. Yeah, they're in that kind of getup. And God, we're such nerds. We are such nerds. And there's a scene where uh, they're kind of being rallied before they go to invade Arrakis, and you hear like this, what they call it, like the chanting, like the throat chanting, like. I'm not even going to try and do it on the phone. Yeah. You know no, please I mean? do, please do. I love it. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Well, like Abe's Odyssey. Yo, 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 yo. I, don't, I can't remember. I'm going to be honest. I can't remember. Anyway, um, they are getting prepped for war, and there's just this really weird otherworldly call. They're all in these blacked out suits. The blood. Their victims are like on this wall, and their blood's draining down. And then, like these priests are going around taking the blood, and like anointing people like getting them ready for war is so messed up so messed up and so weird oh yeah it is but i love the i love the seriousness of the whole film yeah and it and it you know it takes stuff dead seriously and so it should there's not much there's not many lighter moments in it but what i like is anytime you see the baron there's always something weird going on around him like there's an, a spider creature in at one point and he's got a uh, normal human hands <laughs> Have you, did you notice that like there's literally just this spider thing in the corner it's massive and it's got normal hands yeah yeah, really yeah, I weird. yeah i did dennis Villeneuve does these really like cool touches where he shows you something really weird he's like forget about it like it's just part of the world whereas in star wars there'll be like four books about the history of how that creature came to be with the emperor and all the things he's seen <laughs> do you know what i mean yeah but yeah but do you know what the one the one thing i'm i'm happy about is that this is like Villeneuve's vision, and and it's oh not going God, to yeah. be. It's not going to be. Um, he he said so. I, I did. I have had a few interviews. So so the, the things I have done is apart from watch the, the not watch the film more than once is that. I mean, it's annoying because in the cinema, I mean, I'm not going to be in the IMAX cinema with my iPad taking notes. Like just no. Like I will get. And 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 everyone was so well behaved in the IMAX. I loved it. Um. So it's, it's they been paid the, almost twenty wo- quid. That's why. <laughs> exactly, mate. Do you know what? those intellectual sci-fi goers, you know what I mean? You know, they're going to be sitting on their phones. They're going to be drinking it in. They're going to be watching it and they're going to be like having their head rumbled by the ridiculous sound. Um, but yeah, no, I, the one thing I love is the fact that it is Vilnev's, Vilnev's vision. And he said he ha- he has had the June book on his bedside table since he was like 14. He's been reading that book since he was 14. And I love the fact that now he's, he's probably mid 40s or late forties, and he's making this. Uh, like, I'm really sorry if it, he's younger, but um, I feel like he's making films as a man that is sort of like with this much experience. It's in, it's incredible. Yeah. Um, the one thing about Star Wars now, like you said, like is that because it's owned by Disney, it is getting more watered down. Like again and again and again. Like, imagine if we only ever just had just the original trilogy. Like, we'd be wanting more. Of course, we'd be wanting more, and and we have got some joy over the years like, i had a lot of joy with the with the prequels like i loved them when i was a kid yeah um but then watching them now you're just a bit sad and but then it's getting milked even more and hopefully for june that's not what's going to happen like you had to fight for a, for the second part yeah i i'm so glad there is a second part because this does leave you hanging halfway so yeah let's go back a bit more into the plot and what what goes on so uh so timothy Ch- chalamet arrives on arrakis and he's learning the ways of the people uh, they they the way they do it in the book it, sorry in the film is they he has like I think he calls them hollow vids or something and basically they explain to the audience things like okay so um on 
on Arrakis, there are the natives there and they have to walk on the sand in a certain way. If they don't walk in a certain way, then it attracts the um Yeah, so it's like the if they worms. hear normal footsteps. They're like they're like do you know what? They're they're like if you've ever played any games, they're like training videos on games, like Yeah. That's what it's like, isn't it? Yeah, and it kind of tells you what's what. Um and we kind of um we learn more about them. Let me get this right. Am I going to make an embarrassment myself? Is it the Freeman? Is that what they're called? Fremen. Fremen. The Fremen, yeah, it's the Fremen. Sorry, yeah. not Freeman. The Fremen. Anyway, so the Fremen are the locals of Arrakis. And basically, they believe, and we don't know if they believe this because the Bene Gesserit, which is, as again, Timothy Chalamet's mum's one of these characters. We don't know if they've been told to believe that he is the equivalent to the second coming of Christ, like he is arriving and he is the way forward to unite them and to save Arrakis. Or we don't know if they're just scared because the Harkonnens, the previous people who were there, um, stealing the spice used to be uh, evil to them. So we don't know if they're just happy that someone else has come along or we don't know if they genuinely believe he's going to unite them and save them from the Emperor and the Empire because essentially they are being used and abused for their resources and they never get any benefit they're you know they're poor uh they're left to the wastelands and stuff and and they like people are selling spice for thousands or millions or whatever they say in the film and they they get nothing of it their their world i think zendaya says their world is ravaged and you know it's just they're just left to burn or whatever which is very true so we're just taking all of their resources and just leaving them with nothing like so exactly and in the film timothy chalamet keeps dreaming of uh, zendaya's character i I keep saying zendaya's character chani and essentially he starts to see visions throughout the film either through the spice or just through himself of what's going to happen and we know at some point he's going to be with the fremen but we don't know if he's going to be as a leader or as a prisoner or yeah so the film kind of builds to that so on Arrakis, um, essentially the Atreides household and all the people that have moved there, they live in like in this walled-in city because it's so dangerous out in the desert that if they go out there, they'll be eaten by sandworms or they just won't survive because it's so dry. The temperatures are so warm, they won't cope. Um, and that's obviously where the Fremen live. And we meet Javier Bardem, sorry, who's Stilgar. And he yeah. comes to say, basically, you can ravage our land, but basically just leave us alone. We don't want anything to do with you. But what I enjoy is the bit, you know, when he spits and he's like, you grace us with your water because like water's so precious, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that <laughs> yeah. tickled me. I like that. Oh, it's, it, yeah. I mean, I think there was, there's maybe one or two little jokes, but they feel normal. They don't, they're not crowbarred in no, like no, no. every like blockbuster nowadays. It feels like it's got to have all that stupid humor. Or the repetition thing. So like there's a joke of Star Wars like, they fly now, they fly now, they fly now. They fly now, and that's literally that is literally you can watch Rise of Skywalker and see that bit. It, it's like the repetition things it makes. The film it is pathetic. Anyway, so now I won't be watching it ever let's again. Let's not get diverted by that right. film. Cool. Tell me about a raid. the raid. Tell me about the raid. How did cool. you feel so when you saw the it? The raid is well, the best martial arts film I've ever seen in my life. Um, based on a city block, like <laughs> got you right. So anyway, never mind. Um, so the, they have a raid. Um, they're they're everyone's sleeping. Um, so you've got a trade the Atreides family. They're all pretty much sleeping, and there's a big, massive raid um, on the on the fortress. It's like a fortress kind of thing, um, and just it is uh, the first time when you really are well. Except the the bit where the, the, they, there is a big sandworm. Um, it's the bit where your breath is taken away. Like it's how he's directed this scene is 
unbelievable. And I think Timothy Chalamet said behind the scenes that there was only twice he worked behind the green screen. He said the rest was physical effects. And That's cool. it just, just the scale that Villeneuve manages to show on screen is, and he'd done it with Blade Runner and he's done it again with this. You just feel so tiny watching this yeah. all go on and you f- and that and that for me is what he does best like you I, I now think that Villeneuve the way he does like the way he films this raid there's explosions there's loads of like these ships coming in like and and then we see someone die one of the main characters die um and it's just pre- pretty much the Atreides family are getting they're, they're basically trying to take out that family aren't they um yeah. the only people that get away are kind of uh you've got Paul oh Paulie Polly gets away, and then you've got um, Rebecca Ferguson's character, Princess. Yeah, we're we're gonna yeah, get yeah. in trouble with Kate for not mentioning Doctor Yu. You so Doctor Yu, are you? Are you uh, I apologise. Oh, he's that the man. Yep, yep. So he's essentially the inside man who works with the Atreides family, and he makes a deal with the Harkonnens because his wife's been captured. So he wants to get her back. So he betrays them. So he's like the family. I want to say Doctor, but it's more than that. He's he's um yeah he's loyal to the throne of atreides right and essentially he betrays them and that's why the shields go down and that's why they're able they're a why the raid is able to happen yeah uh, but he managed he says to um his deal with the baron is to get rid of the duke not his son and not lady jessica so he actually does save them he sets up the plan for them to be able to escape yeah so it's a weird one because it's like you've betrayed it them, is a but weird one. you have also saved them. So Yeah, it's it's quite a difficult film to explain. John's done a really good um good good job of doing, to be honest. I um but it is a it's such an intricate film it's it's just quite hard to explain and and it's a political had... drama, to be honest, as much as it is anything else. And I honestly believe and Jamie, I said this to you and I think you laughed. When George Lucas wrote the start of Phantom Menace and it says about the trade dispute and like the political stuff he thought like he was on the same level of dune he thought he was making that and i think in his head he was like yes I, i've got it I'm, i've nailed this and then i think when everyone watched it they're like what the hell is this because a lot of the themes are very similar there's a trade dispute in terms of the spice and we're going to give you the cannot, power to someone else you cannot go ahead against the trade federation like oh my goodness but, like no, too but, much but, no, but, but not, not in june june's fine no no but this is what i mean i think he thought he nailed that political level and he was taking it further that's why i find it interesting again the comparison yeah um, lucas probably thought like lucas probably thought he sat down in the chair after like writing writing the screenplay and was like damn i've like i've done it again i've done it again like and... he probably thought you know poor poor Atreides is very similar to anakin skywalker yeah fine it's all good it's all good it's like, he's on a I, desert planet Honestly, like if I want to go watch it, I'll go watch House of Cards. Do you know what I mean? Like I don't, I just want people <laughs> fighting with laser swords. Like shut up. But to be fair though, like jokes, jokes. House of Cards is a really good reference because the stuff in June about the houses battling it out is essentially that. It is different political viewpoints all coming to a head. But I suppose yeah, it's through races rather than um, like uh, or oh well. Are the Harkonnens a different species? Again, maybe I don't know about the mythos. I don't know. Like, they look humanish. They, they come but... across like a slightly different species, don't they? Like yeah. a, an alien race almost. But anyway, so yeah, um, that's... Yeah, they... Well, I did, I did, well, I'll just, I did want to just say, like... Sorry. I think at this point now, like, when when we watch when we watch Dune and when we watch Blade Runner, specifically those two films, and then even Arrival to some extent, like, I feel like... Arrival was. I'm not the biggest fan of Arrival. Um, it's still visually but, stunning, though. Yeah, but I, but I know I'm wrong. Like 
I'm, I'm aware I'm wrong, but when I look at Blade Runner 2049 and I look at Dune, I'm like, right, Ridley Scott and James Cameron, I would say that they used to be the masters of sci-fi, like the masters of sci-fi action. Now, I don't think either of them, well, James Cameron, he just doesn't do it anymore because he's Avatar 2 has been coming out for 10 years. But with Ridley Scott as well, and, and recently Ridley Scott's really not done much, like in, in the stuff he has done, it hasn't been great. Um, I feel like Villeneuve is the, he is the, the sci-fi master now. He has taken the mantle from those two. No one can yeah. do what he does on screen. Like it's, it's insane. Like you know, the scope. When we, do, well, scope, perfect word, right? When we did the Jurassic Park episode a long, long time ago, can't remember what episode it was. Was it I even a full it was that long ago. I felt like episode 19, maybe. Okay, fine. When we did Jurassic Park, I spoke about why people said the original looks more realistic than the newer films. And we mm-hmm. talked about the way it was shot to scale. So it was all oh, yes, seen yes. from so the you... human's perspective. Yeah, you're always looking up. You're always looking up or, you know, the camera's moving only as it could move, not in the CGI 3D space, which is why your brain knows that camera move could never happen. So it's wrong. Therefore, it's not real. Which in a Marvel film or in a, a, a superhero film makes sense because it's a comic book world. Like, that's absolutely fine. Like, I want that. That's fine. In this kind of sci-fi, it's trying to make it feel realistic. And what Dennis Villeneuve does so well is when you see... So we, we glanced over this and James right? we should have talked about it. The first appearance of the sandworm, basically, they're trying to show you how hard it is to get spice off the land. So we see yeah. basically it's like an oil an oil rig in a sand in a desert but it's a moving one is the way i'd describe yeah. it yeah, and yeah oscar isaac's character flies over it and we go to see what's happening and basically we see a worm in the distance and it sets up the danger of they come from miles away they can be up to how many hundred meters long and when they arrive they will just eat everything there because they just they're so big they just absorb whatever and um when you when you see the worm you see it through binos through binoculars you don't yeah. really see it outright and when it does finally consume the oil rig i keep calling mm. it oil rig because i'm just trying to make it as relatable as possible um timothy chalamet is on uh, uh a fighter uh it looks like a dragonfly it's a hummer yeah it's a, what do they yeah, call it, it is i can't oh. remember what they call it it's like a hummingbird kind of thing like yeah but let's it's got it. it's basically it's basically an x-wing <laughs> so let's, with, let's with, call it the carrier wings. i'm going to call it a carrier because there's like a door at the back which is open and he's being timothy chalamet is being held by gurney to like save him to get him up but you're seeing this amazing shot now in any other blockbuster timothy chalamet is out frame and you just see the big worm look at the worm look at the trailer shot mm. dennis Villeneuve covers up half of the screen with the ship being in the way of what you're seeing because yeah. in real life in real life it's if there big. was a camera there, it would be that big that you couldn't fit it all in frame. So the idea is you're seeing from that. Do you see what I mean? It's just he it's, just gets it. Like he gets the way of presenting scale by giving you context in your brain of something next yeah. to it, so you understand. And like making the suits physical. So like in the Marvel films now, a lot of the time they don't have real suits. They have like the green screen. Um, they're not green screen. It's like the mocap morph suit. suits. And then uh, yeah, and then afterwards <laughs> they they CGI overwards because then they can change it and it avoids spoilers and yada yada yada. But Dennis Villeneuve had them in 
the uh, they have these suits which basically retains their moisture. So if they pee in the suit or if they sweat in the suit, they can then drink the it water. Recycles, it recycles, recycles all moisture and goes back in. They can yeah. basically drink it. It's disgusting. Yeah. So essentially, they are in tight, tight plastic suits, which they wore out in the desert. In, yeah. Where was it? They and they sound it? sexy, but they're not. They're no, not they're sexy. Not. They're not at all. They look miserable as sin. Uh, and yeah, like essentially after that, um, Dung. We haven't talked about Duncan much, but Duncan is Jason Momoa's character who has quite a good relationship with. It's because he doesn't have a beard and he looks yeah. weird. When he doesn't start <laughs> and he doesn't later on. When he lives with with the frame and he he gets rid of it, doesn't he? And then, yeah, I hate it. Yeah. I hate I hate his face without a beard. Like he's but, one of the best looking men I've ever seen in my life, and. When Doctor Without U- a beard, not good. Not the same. When Doctor U has saved them, he sends them to somewhere where Duncan finds them. And basically, uh, Timothy Chalamet and Lady Jessica go off to find the Fremen, basically, to unite them, I suppose. Um, and then basically, that's the film essentially ends with Timothy Chalamet being accepted by the Fremen. The, the reason that happens is because it's like... Reminded me of Black Panther, you know, when it's like for the for to become Black Panther, you have to duel, and if you win the duel, then you get the title as king. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like against Michael B. Jordan, that's intense. I'm not being funny. That's going back to like probably Greek mythology and Roman. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Of course, it has. Yeah, I'm not stupid. I know it's not a Marvel thing. Before anyone hits me up with that, um. So yeah, basic basically that is the gist of it. Like it's essentially about. Uh, Paul learning that he is becoming the chosen one, and we've said like yeah, is it, you've seen it. We've we've ha- we have like I, so I you know me I, I read loads, one. I read loads of fantasy novels. Mm-hmm. Um, not not quite as much nowadays, but that's that is my genre. Like I only rarely read fantasy. Like yeah, and that is pretty much the crux of most of them. Almost every fantasy book is that like you've got you've got your your chosen one your average joe who ends up being the chosen yeah, one you, to bring you, peace you, to the scum world. of the earth yeah scum of the earth it's had like he's got no money really poor but then he, he's just got this inner inner power however, like, however paul paul atreides is like we've a got wealth, paul here with, with he's a wealthy got child who's had a very yeah. lovely upbringing who's then told he needs to go live with the desert people and then goes to live with the desert people and decides he prefers it essentially is what we're told at the exactly, moment yeah pretty but, much um, go and get Paul and go get Paul and he's got he's got the powers. So <laughs> Paul. The other thing that impressed me with this film, I mean, we've done some broad, well, we've done some quite heavy story bits there, but let's do some broad strokes in in terms of acting and and presentation. I thought Rebecca Ferguson in this film was fantastic. Uh, she plays Lady Jessica. She's Paul's uh, Timothy Chalamet's mother in the film. Now, I would argue she's almost as much a central character as Paul is because uh, yeah, hundred percent, yeah, she 100%. I. She, we don't know her we we don't know what her uh her interests are because the Bene Gesserit are known for meddling in things they shouldn't meddle with right and whispering to make things go the way the emperor wants them to go or whatever and she's not married to her to uh the duke leto and that's like made a big deal of and basically he doesn't know if he fully trusts her and this would link on really well with a question we've got from Kate Reviews Film. So I'm going to race forward, which is Kate wrote in a question and said, what's your favourite thing in the book that made it into the film? And then your favourite thing that film, what was, oh, missing the second part of the question. Help me out. Help me no, out. No, it says, so it says, um, least favourite thi- least favourite thing from the book that made it into the film. Oh, wasn't and the, the one? Fa- and your favourite thing that made it that made it from the book into the film. So least oh, favourite no. and favourite things. 
so I wrote down something which I liked in the book, which didn't make it in the film. So I've completely misread the question. Yeah, there you go. Uh, okay, cool. So, uh, sorry, Kate. Um, John's not going to answer your question, <laughs> he's, but he's going to answer. He's going to answer your own. Is the question he's made up himself? Kate, when so I read John, it, I read was, it wrong. So, John, what was the question you made up yourself that you've answered? So. The question I read was, what's the bit that was in the book which didn't make it in the film, which I would have liked to have seen in it? And what I right. like is Do it. a whole thing with... There's a character we've not really mentioned, which is uh, Howard, I think you say it. His character is basically the security guy on Arrakis who makes sure everything's fine for the uh, for the Atreides family before they arrive. And in the, in the film, he seems like quite a nice guy. He's on side with yeah. everyone. But in the book, he is very suspicious of Lady Jessica. And there's a really uh. good scene I just, uh, I've read recently in a book where he basically says, you're part of the Bene Gesserit. We don't trust you as far as we could throw you. You're the reason we're on Arrakis. We think that you are trying to overthrow Atreides for the Empire. And I like that subplot. I think that's a really cool subplot. But Okay. Not in there. It wasn't in the film. So maybe it doesn't lead to anything in the book. And then what was what was the actual question so I can say? So, least favourite thing from the book that made it into the film? Okay, I'll be honest, I've only read a quarter of the book, so I don't know how far I can justify that. And so far, I'm enjoying it, so I can't complain. I would say, in terms of the second part to your question, though, I think the dialogue is much improved. There's there's some really good dialogue in the book, and there's some really oh, okay. great bits. So I've, heard, yeah, so I've heard the way that Dune is written is quite clunky. Yeah, it, it's it's like uh, if there's a scene, you know, when everyone's saying what they feel and think all the time rather than trying to get you inside through actions and, and thoughts. Like on right. social media, where, like, <laughs> everyone's everyone's telling you how they feel at all times. Yeah. 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 I, well, yeah. kims.cinema.scape writes in, and she says, um, for the attention of Jamie, that's me, how did you cope watching almost three hours of Timothy Chalamet? Right. So as I said at the beginning of the pod, the re- one of the main reasons why I wasn't looking forward to the film was because of him. Because he, he, uh, for, So for me, right, I don't particularly think he's a good actor. I think everyone really? raves. A- Wait. <laughs> I don't particularly think he's a good actor. I feel like no matter what information is given to him, he reacts the same like this. Yeah, totally. Like, I just, I, I don't get it. I feel, do you know, but do you know what else? I think we might look back on him in years and he might be, he might be the Keanu Reeves of his generation because the, when you watch Matrix, it's like the reason why Keanu Reeves is so good in the Matrix is because basically like, he acts like he doesn't know what the hell's going on for the whole film, so it works perfectly. That's the point, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I actually like Keanu Reeves a lot more in his later career. So for Timothy Chalamet, I just feel like everyone has got this obsession with him. Maybe it's everyone else that does my head in because everyone's got this obsession with him, making out like he's DiCaprio, and he isn't, and he's not Hall either. He's Chalamet. In this film, he's fantastic, I'm glad you said that because I, I honestly, the, when I saw this film, not one performance made me think, oh, that's a bit awful, oh, that's a bit rubbish. I really... He's brilliant. I bought He's really, really good. I thought Dave Batista as well, like, was really good. Like, again, yeah. because you don't, he doesn't have lots of screen time, but his presence on the screen is felt... You it's basically, a shame. You see him chopping his heads off in the background. He's typecast. Do you think? Um, yeah, I do. Like, I, I think that he's always playing the big, and I know he's big, he's always playing the big 
elfish brute and like I, I would just like to see him do something a little bit different because it's a shame because I, I think he's he could probably act quite well he had a slight twist in Blade Runner 2049 though didn't he he did so he did. And, and again that was good use of a use of him but no I yeah sorry back to Timothy on Kim's question yes Timothy I thought he was great in it he, um, he was really good the bit where yeah. the the woman's tested him now that's a key scene we didn't really talk about so very briefly at the start the Reverend Mother Mahayim uh, of the Bene Gesserit, so basically the leader of this group, comes to test Paul to see what his powers are because basically only women are supposed to be taught this power and she's really upset that uh, Lady Jessica's been teaching Paul because she was told outright, you're only supposed to bear a, ch- a, a girl. If not, you know, yeah. we're not, we're not interested. For you. However, uh, she's decided that because Paul's son there to the throne um, uh, to the House of Atreides, that also, you know, why not teach him the voice? And she's, I think she's threatened by the fact that he can, he has the abilities, which is part of the reason. I don't know this shit because I'm not got this far in the book, but I feel part of the reason that they want them on Arrakis and they want them gone. She says, so sorry, the Bene Gesserit are working with the Baron and the Baron is the leader of the Harkonnens. And she says, make sure that the mother and the son are okay and unharmed yeah. and not killed. I don't know if it's a double bluff of she's half thinking we want him killed off because we actually don't want... I don't know because I've not seen Dune 2 and I've not read the book far enough to know. I don't know if there's an underlying motive of she wants them to be trained and she wants them to die because she doesn't like the fact a boy or a man, sorry, could overtake the mantle. Or yeah. I don't know if she genuinely thinks that this is all part of the plan and a lot of bad things have got to happen for this uprising to happen and we're, we're facilitating all of that. So the, literally, as I keep saying the equivalent of the second coming of Christ happens. He takes over as leader and unites everyone for a better better world in Dune. I don't know, but yeah, I'm, I'm sure we will find out in Dune part two, whenever it comes out. I mean, how long do you think we'll be waiting for Dune part two, Jamie? How, how long do you reckon? I think 2023. We're going to see oh. it around this time, 2023. But do you sense. know what? That gives me time to read. I'll be reading. I'll be reading. If I've not finished the book by 2023, something's gone really wrong. Well, no. So the, so the reason why, so I've bought the book. I've got it in. I've got it on audiobook. As as you know, I drive a lot. Um, not at the moment because my car got stolen, as you found out last episode. And I, do you know what the the amount of people that wrote in and was like, "Oh my god, your car got stolen." I was like, I was genuinely not joking. It's gone forever. Police haven't been in touch. No. Um, I've got a new one on order. That's all that matters. Happy um, days. <laughs> so, yeah. Anyway, so I do, so there's one thing I did want to say. Like, so the thing that so I've got a couple of things. The final fight when um, so it we we because we are pretty much done with June. Would you agree? Like, we've just got a couple yeah, more so, bits so, to touch on. So we said we'll basically, yeah, yeah. There's again, it's a long film. There's a lot to go through, and again, apologies, guys. Like, it's really hard to try and summarize this film. So fingers crossed, you've kind of got a gist of it, but. Paul and Lady Jessica are out and they find the Freeman. And basically, when they find them, they're not accepting of them. They, you know, they are the people, they're the outworlders. They call them the outworlders. They've come and they steal the spice and, you know, raid their planet and they get no benefit. So basically, when they come across them, they are hostile towards them. And initially, Javier Bardem's character, Stilgar, tries to kill Lady Jessica because he says, oh, she's useless. She doesn't know what she's doing and she'd, she'd slow us down, but we'll take the yeah. boy. And then she almost kills him. She literally draws a knife on him and goes to cut his throat. Oh, yeah, because they're this, badass. Like, yeah. And this is a key scene. He says, oh, why didn't you tell me you're a woman of power? 
And then it's a bit like, why does she have to tell you that? And after this, essentially, it leads to a challenge. There's a character called Jamis who rivals... Um, the, that, that, that's me, by the way. Jamis. And he's challenged... He challenges Stilgar, because Stilgar, Javier Bardem's character, is the leader. And he says, if you, if you can't lead... If you're not the strongest person here, you've been bested by Lady Jessica, who's a woman. You cannot be our leader. So that's why the fight happens. Yeah. And in a very Hunger Games moment, that he says, who's going to challenge me? Who's going to challenge me? And then suddenly, because he doesn't want his mum to fight Lady Jessica, Paul Atreides, Timothy Chalamet says, I volunteer as tribute. I volunteer as... It's me, Paul. I was a volunteer as tribute. That was a reference to Hunger um, Games because it's Hunger Games time of year now. Oh. <laughs> is, is, it, was, is that what that was? That completely Literally, went over my head because I went to watch I've seen it. Hunger Games. I went to watch it with Peter <sighs> at the cinema Man. and he was sat with me and like as that bit happened, I went, I volunteer as tribute. And I love the fact he knew straight away. He was like, oh, mate, seriously. I on. wouldn't... So it washed over me because... Oh, man. Do you know what, right? There's, there's certain films that are hold in the same regard, like so like Hunger Games, Twilight. They're all the same no. fodder. No. Um, Twilight's the best out of all of them, by the way. It's not. Uh, Hunger Games it's, it's, is way better. Don't be daft. Um, Battle Royale's the best. Um, so so I must say, so that that um, that scene that you're talking about, I found I felt that was really tense and really well done. I was I was probably sitting there like, wow, like Paul. <laughs> Paul's gonna get. Paul's gonna have to go go back to being a painter decorator on Monday morning. Well, there's visions of him dying as well, aren't there? In that fight, he has visions. He has. We don't know if he's gonna win or lose because he has two visions. One, he gets stabbed. Well, I there. think we know he's gonna win, don't well, we? You know, but he has visions of him losing it, and he also has visions of winning. So we're not sure what's what. And I like that. It kind of the first time anyway. It kept me on the edge of my seat because you're thinking, you know, what's yeah, me too, yeah, really definitely, done. yeah. And so, so like, I, w- I was gonna say like. I so Villeneuve is is one of those filmmakers like and I, and I get dead excited about this because you know like my favorite filmmakers are like Scorsese and like Tarantino and that like proper filmmakers shooting on film practical effects um I know Villeneuve this is shot digitally but and but Villeneuve for me is a proper filmmaker and he he cares about like the physical effects and stuff and he said um, this was a tribute to the big screen because this was gonna, this film was gonna release on streaming and in the cinemas at the same time. And he said like, this is a tribute to the big screen experience, and it was like a retaliation to being that was a retaliation for it to like to it being released early. And do you know what? I would say that like I ha- I've written down like some films that like I feel warrant the big the big screen experience like okay like over the years like um and films that like never would. Just, just don't work at home as well, and they never, ever will in a million years. Um, I th- so Villeneuve mentioned Lawrence of Arabia and Apocalypse Now, um, and then I was thinking, I'm like, yeah, do you know what? And we'll obviously also mention Star Wars because we have to, and we'll yeah, mention 2001. Yeah. I feel bad for. Oh my god! I feel bad that I would never get to see that at that. the cinema. That bet, could happen yeah. though. They do screenings. If I see a screening, I will take you. You will love it anyway. Carry yeah, on. you take me on a date. I will. Um, but then more recently. You've got stuff like Interstellar, um, and you've yep. got stuff like Mad Max Fury Road. Yeah. Blade Runner original. Like, we saw it on the big screen, and the scope yeah. of that as well, and the scale of that. I feel like Villeneuve might have borrowed from that. And you've got Terminator 2, Alien. And then I was like, do you know what? And you've even got stuff like The Irishman from Scorsese, where I think films like that with Pacino, De Niro, like, actors that you're once-in-a-lifetime actors, 
that you'll never see again deserve to be shown the big screen as well. And I was just thinking, like, it just made me think about all those films. I was like, do you know what? There's so many films out there that we would, that just deserve the big screen forever. Do you know what, though? It's interesting the way you've gone with that. I, for me, for pure spectacle films, I loved Gravity at the cinema, but I have no interest in yes. ever watching it again because even even on home cinema or whatever, I just don't think it will have the same impact. I saw that in, it was in 3D. Um, that must have been amazing. It's a and, nice, swift and 90 IMAX minutes. 3D. And I just remember being like, I felt like, as ridiculous as it sounds, you felt like you were in space. It just was amazing. It's not ridiculous. I get it. And, I get it. And I just thought, I don't want to watch this again because it's never going to be like this. I And there's very few films I can say that about, but I just thought it's... Avatar. I saw... Yes, so yes. Avatar, Avatar is the one... Avatar was the one, right, where like, when I saw that on release and I remember being in the cinema, 3D. I remember being like, and I remember sitting next to my mate, like, this is before we'd even met. I was sitting next to my mate. Like, I had other friends as well. Sorry, don't, don't get gel. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I was sitting next to my mate, and I was like, these, like, golden leaves, like, burn ashy leaves coming out. And I was like, I have never seen anything like this in my entire life. Nope. And this is incredible. And I just think that, like, Villeneuve is that one of those filmmakers that demands the big screen, and there's yeah. not many filmmakers left like him. Can I just say, you mentioned earlier about Ridley Scott, and now I'm going to throw back to 2012. I think it was 2012 when Prometheus came out. Prometheus, the first time in 3D IMAX, was stunning. And I know it's not his most popular film, and I have issues. Also, with nine it too. years ago, remember? So yeah, but the, the thing we we need to remember is that Ridley hasn't he hasn't made anything of note in quite a while. But what I was trying to say was, in terms of the spectacle standpoint. I would say Prometheus for budget to looking on screen is also one of those stunning. The first time I saw it the, on the IMAX was the way to see it. Do you know what I mean? That is a big screen. Yeah, we saw, we, I think we saw it together at the cinema. I saw that film like three times. We've had this chat. <laughs> I would say, I, we, we who have, knows? Yeah, we um, but no, um, the other film, the other film I was thinking of then, I wasn't going to say Star Wars. Mm, oh no, it's, like, it's gone. But anyway, um, I really, the other one for me sometimes is a Bond I remember seeing, especially No Time to Die, I think maybe because of COVID and the break of being away from the cinema, that raised that. But uh, you said Interstellar, didn't you, for Nolan? I did, yeah. By the way, I did forget, like, um, (laughs) Ridley did make The Martian, (laughs) which was, like, 2015, which was, like, a pretty incredible spectacle sci-fi. Before we go any further and speak about the next film would it be worth us doing the remaining questions on dune now and then absolutely about... and mo- it's funny it's hilarious because most of our questions are about tick tick boom <laughs> oh, are they? Oh, okay, fine. <laughs> yeah like it's hysterical um so i will I, so so okay so first of all i'm going to talk um so patch wrote in and he says um films um some films are, to- uh, are supposedly some books are supposedly unfilmable um do you agree with this concept not anymore i mean people said for years lord of the rings couldn't be done and to me it's even more impressive lord of the rings was done when it was because there was a lot in the 90s late 90s well, yeah much yeah uh and i still find it staggering that they were able to film those back to back that they just went to film three films before any of them had been released and no one knew if they'd be any good or not it's yeah it's mind-blowing i mean yeah harry potter what unfilmable why well, quite clearly 
Because you don't like the first two. <laughs> no, no, um, no, no, like I, I, I do. Th- no, go on. You go. say not anymore. You say not anymore. I don't I, think I, so. No, I just unless- they said Doom was unfilmable for years because because of obviously the complexity of it and obviously the way Lynch. Because <laughs> I don't know why you would get David Lynch like out of all people to because it was after we'd done a Razorhead, you know. Can I just say some of the imagery in the original Dune? There's some really bad matte paintings and some bad model With the work. Blue eyes, but there are also some fantastic model work and some fantastic um, uh, matte paintings and stuff. As so, I say, I really, really love Lynch. Yeah, I love him. Mate, we need to do our mind bending episode. Oh God, I I need to revisit a Razorhead. But honestly, tra- the first time I saw that film, it really traumatized me. It was so weird. I was just like, what? it doesn't take much. <laughs> I, I, no, no, but I just remember saying to like the teacher, "Why, like, why are you showing us this stuff? Like, what is, what is this about?" And it was, uh, what film class was that? Can't can we just watch Cannonball Run again? <laughs> no, I, Gee. all I remember once was at Christmas. He was like the experimental film teacher, so you watch like really weird stuff, like bugs crawling out of people's eyes and whatever. It's weird. And he oh. said like, at Christmas, like, what do you guys want to watch? Like, thinking we'd say a David Lynch film. We're like, oh, can we watch Die Hard? And like we asked him like week after week after week, and one week he was like, well, "You know, you can't watch Die Hard." And we were like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> like just completely well, because lost it's an eighteen. It. No, just because he was just pissed off that it was, you know, it's experimental film class. Why do you want to watch Die Hard? Oh, <laughs> uh, like, right. Getting so upset. Yeah, we weren't yeah, invested. No, I get that. Anyway, well, it's weird because when I did media, so I did media at A level. Like obviously, you took it, you took it to the next level. It's hilarious because you were doing you didn't film at university and I was making you watch Mortal Kombat <laughs> from well, 95. I was watching enough stuff, don't worry about Exceptional. it. Exceptional. Um yeah, my, my film teachers I remember they would just make us watch mostly like stuff Fincher that we'd watch like a lot of Fincher and then they would have us watching a lot of like um how women like female uh how female we were portrayed in film so like we yeah they would they would let us watch they would make us watch like the descent that's where i got the idea from that and, but then they would make us watch stuff like i love lucy and it's like yeah. this is how women were portrayed back then this but is that's, how they're portrayed which i found really progression of like how yes yeah brilliant and that's that's yeah, yeah. different cool uh, so, so yeah patch i think basically you can do it and the other thing i would say as well is i think if you can't do it in a film now you can do it in a series pretty damn well if you've got the budget um like Isaac Asim- Isaac Asimov's Foundation is one of those books which people said, "Oh, you can't film it; it's crazy." And uh, like Dune, it's got quite a lot going on; it's very uh, wide-reaching. It's now uh, Apple TV series, and I don't know how much budget they've plunged into it, but I'm yeah. guessing it's a hell of a lot. Anyway, well, yeah, I think some stuff should be left alone, um, but that's because I get dead passionate about the books. So it's my favorite, like, it's so. Do you know what? Maybe it's not about it being unfilmable. So maybe things. Maybe anything can be filmed at this point, but um, there are some like fantasy series I've I've read that I'm just like, there's no chance that that could ever be on screen because it's far the magic systems are far too complicated to show. Just think though, but then you've got stuff like Lord of the Rings, which people thought would always be a disaster. Like people were so worried it was going to be like, a car I think crash. Lord of, honestly, I think it's quite simple, isn't it? Compared oh, compared to some like, know, mate. like at, at the time, honestly, people really thought. I, I, if you read yeah. the behind the scenes about Lord of the Rings before it came out, people were so down on it. Oh, yeah, they really were. Yeah, they, were, they were having none of it. And then, yeah. you know, it just took over. But I think it would have been worse if they would have felt that hype. I think they did better because they were able to basically just go away to New Zealand and get on with it. And do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Anyway. Right. Well, so let's so let's finish on one question then before we mm-hmm. go on to Tick, Tick, Boom. Oh, um, yes. So this is going to be a hard one. Um, so Kate Reviews Films writes in and she says... Can you discuss rank or rate, or all three, your favourite Zimmer scores? 
Um, obviously, the reason why we're talking about Hans Zimmer is because he scored Dune. Um, consider whether you think his work has declined. Um, she then goes on to say, Dune's score is a bit standard, in my opinion. Not as impressive as Ooh. not as impressive as I would have liked. Okay, so, let me just cut in with one thing to reply to Kate. I'm really intrigued you've said that because Dennis Villeneuve's brief to Hans Zimmer was, I want something I've not heard before. So he went and got all these crazy new instruments. He's made new instruments to make weird sounds. Does it not just sound like the Dark Knight? Pardon? No, does no, it it just does, like it, no this, one, this one does not, to be fair. Okay. I'll have my rant, though, about that. Don't you worry, because Kate's asked yeah. for it. Um, so, yeah. I'm surprised that you didn't like this score because I did actually feel like it was very varied for uh, for Hans Zimmer and I did think it had a bit more going on than in Blade Runner 2049 but Blade Runner 2049 has the synths so it has like that whole electronic element and yeah. what Dune kind of did was you've got like really tribal drums and stuff so it sounds like old worldy and then you've got the Bene Gesserit are very clear when they come on screen on screen sorry they have like the whispering and the chanting and then when the harkonnens come on you have horrible harsh horns and like so i thought to be honest i thought weirdly it was a good hans zimmer score but it doesn't have many motifs or melodies you can get behind because it's not I supposed to it's not it's more like a mood thing it's like bad noise good noise worm noise do you know what i mean that's kind of how it is now in terms of ranking the scores i find this really hard but i will go on a bit of a hans zimmer rant I think Hans Zimmer is at a point now where he is so busy and has to do so many things that he will do certain scores where he phones it in. And Can I just say he's done 169 films? Oh my god, that is insane. Well, like but, I mean, let's let's round it down to like maybe 150 because some of them will probably like random yeah. little documentaries and stuff. But but, but <laughs> here's my problem: every so often, James Horney used to do this as well. God rest his soul, which was there'd be a, a little motif he likes. It's like, oh, I'm going to throw that in a load of other films and no one will notice, but they come out really soon after each other. So in Gladiator, the Pirates of the Caribbean theme is in the in the middle of the Gladiator's fighting scene. And I when, don't remember that. Oh, dun, 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 no, but it's a slow version. It's dun, 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 dun. Is it dun, actually? Dun, 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 dun. Yeah, no and once way. you know that, when you watch Gladiator, because of Pirates, all you do is think, oh, why is Pirates of the Caribbean playing in Gladiator? Now at that point, Pirates of the Caribbean didn't exist, but now it's just tainted Gladiator. It's so funny because I said to Kate that you'd have a real good oh, talk right. about this. And I was like, eh, his, his dad was a music teacher, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and then the other thing is like, okay, so in The Dark Knight, all the Batman films, well, no, in Batman Begins, there's a theme called Molossus. It's like, have a listen, it's cool. And I love how this is all off the cuff. And literally, when, when I was watching No Time to Die, I was furious because oh yes because yeah you did that i as well, went mad because i was watching the film and like not too spoilery for no time to die it's bond he goes in a base right and it started doing dun 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 and it was literally three minutes of music and it was copied and pasted and i was so furious that like i love bond and i was so excited about hans zimmer doing a bond score that anything he tried to make generic really frustrating me because they haven't hired mm. you for that but anyway so there we go um some interesting soundtracks Hans Zimmer did I'm gonna really struggle to rank them because I've I like so many but I liked Interstellar because it was really different that's when he went full 2001 a space odyssey and decided he was just gonna play the organ like a madman Jamie have you heard that yeah. score yes yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. you've seen yeah, I like it right yeah 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 yeah, um, yeah I love Interstellar uh you gotta mention Lion King Lion King is a banging score so okay worth a mention 
Um, so give me, I'll tell you what to do then. Give me your top five Hans Zimmer scores. Um, off the top of my head, uh, I would say... Mm, would you like me to go first? Yeah, you go first, then I'll give you mine. Right, okay, cool. So obviously, um, I reckon there's more films out there that Hans Zimmer has scored than he hasn't scored. Um, it's just ridiculous. Like, is is like between John Williams and Hans Zimmer, they've pretty much scored every single film. Um, so I would say my top five... Right, so we're gonna go with uh, probably Pirates of the Caribbean at five, epic. Um, okay. At four, we're gonna go with um, I love his Blade Runner theme. Three, we're gonna go with I know exactly what my number one is, so I just need to uh, Mission Impossible Two. <laughs> Mate, there is a banging track in Mission Impossible Two. He's like, yeah. just stay alive. I'm not going to lose you. And then he runs and sprints out this building and just like butterfly jumps out this window, then smashes the parachute out. Do you remember the bit I'm on about? Oh, I love yeah, that. Yeah, film. yeah, yeah. Right, so two, right. so this is easy. So two is Gladiator. Yeah, okay. And number one is True Romance. But the. Whoa. The f- True um, Romance is your number one. Yeah, have you heard the score? Because the score is a. It's a. Um, uh, uh, what's it, what's it called? It's the Badlands score, but it's slightly changed. Oh, uh, fine. Wow. You know the bling, bling, Okay, fine. Yeah. So that's why it's my favorite because I just love it so much. So there you go. There's my top five. I'm gonna say um, Dark Knight Rises is somewhere in my top five. This is just five of the ones I like. He's done so many. Go for it. Go for it. Amazing Spider-Man two. Uh, yes. Well done. Uh, oh, it is. <laughs> yeah, it's in there. Of course, it is. Uh, Batman versus Superman. That's three. Yeah. Um, then I would say I used to love the Da Vinci Code one, but I've gone off it. Last Samurai is a good one. Four. And then what the hell? Have you ever heard Last Samurai? You've, no, but listen. You've got an absolute cheek, like moaning to me, saying to me like that because I would true romance is my number one. You've got a cheek, right? Because all I'm going to say is this, right? You've got one slot left. <laughs> and yeah, what do you think it'll be? We haven't what? spoke about Gladiator, Pirates of the Caribbean, no, no, no. Twelve Years a Slave, no, because, which wasn't my a, top five. No, because I'm a snob and I like to do different things. Let's be honest. Okay, no, we like that. Cool. No. So, what's your number one then, John? Inception. I think the Inception. I don't remember it. Okay, at the end of Inception, there's a there's a piece of music called Time, and Time is the slow piano oh, one. Of course, it is. It's Nolan. <laughs> And there's a slow piano piece which builds up to a massive crescendo and then boom, strings, whatever. That song is being used for so many trailers. Any documentary you watch and they want to do an emotive thing, it's always on there. BBC. Okay. Well, maybe I need to there. just watch Inception again because I've only seen it once. Just listen to the score. Just listen to that bit. But I, I used to love that soundtrack. Can I listen to it on, um, what, what do I listen to it on? Prime Music Spotify. or Tidal? Oh, I, um, I only no, listen because... on Amazon Music Unlimited so I can have the Ultra HD. Otherwise, I'm not listening. Oh, uh, right. Okay, cool. <laughs> anyway, thanks that, Kate. That got Jamie upset with me, so all good. So I guess that's all for June. It's time to move on to our second film, closely linked with June. Um, they're just both new releases. I don't know what you want from us. Um, the film is Tick, Tick, Boom. Um, so it's directed by Lynn manuel Miranda. So you might know him from, most notably, Hamilton, which is brilliant. I know the link. Uh, what is the link? Give me. Okay. Andrew Garfield played Spider-Man. Zendaya. Oh, okay. Who was in Dune. Spider-Man. Is in Spider-Man. That is the link. There, I've there got is, another link. There's your tentative link. I've got another link. Yeah. Andrew Garfield. Yeah. 
was in Sp- the Amazing Spider-Man Two. Yeah. Hans Zimmer did the score. Yeah. Spider-Man Two. Yes. And he also scored Dune. That's why we've done it. It's done. It's done. Here we go. go. We've done it. It's planned out all along. (laughs) We planned it all along. I don't know what you're talking. Listen, we'll edit out whatever we want to fit our narrative. What he's going to do. Um. So, Tick Tick Boom is on Netflix at the moment. It's brand. It's a brand spanker. Hello. Hi, welcome. I'm Jonathan Larson. I am 29 years old. I work at the Moondance Diner. Check. One sec. Do we take reservations? No, we do not take, we're, we're a diner. I have an original rock musical. Hey, boy genius. That I've spent the last eight years of my life writing. He's getting out. You're gonna be rich and famous. And rewriting. Did you crack it yet? Oh, I'm getting so close. And rewriting. Can I hear it? Any day now. Eight years! And the time keeps ticking. Tick, tick. You need to ask, are you letting yourself be led by fear or by love? Fear! A hundred percent fear! As I said, directed by Lynn manuel Miranda, who we know is uh, a fantastic... Um, music writer and composer and now he's a good director um he also directed it in the heights which i haven't seen um i do I've love hamilton though um so it's basically it's a it's a true story um obviously dramatized as usual we get so many of these now um so it's basically about um jonathan larson played by andrew garfield and he's basically on the i've said basically seven times yeah uh, he's on the cusp of his 30th birthday he is a theater composer and he is trying to get his big break on Broadway. So he spent eight years writing this musical of what he thinks is going to get him big. And it's about the breakdown of love, uh, friendships and the pressures of life is in New York because he's broke. And it's a, it's a musical. It's, yep. it, it's not as good as La La Land it's different for me it's different you're right i would no is it though it's quite similar for me in many ways for me it's not la la land for me is a celebration of musicals and it's shot like an older older musical in modern day this This is certainly not a celebration this for me no it's not a celebration it's more of a biopic which happens to have be following a man who wrote musicals and having musical numbers interspersed in it so the film's framed in a very clever way uh, Jonathan Larson had a stage show which was like autobiographical about his life, didn't he? And yes. he basically performed on stage and explained like his situation before he got big, before his shows got big. And essentially he would perform and the film stages it like a theatre performance. And that might sound like a negative, but it actually helped me understand what when they went into song why they were going into song it didn't really feel forced so the opening number you messaged me straight away said the opening numbers banging like you were well into the Happy opening birthday number. yeah it's great yeah. it was great yeah but that's the only one for me which feels like okay we're in musical world no context we're all just well actually no they start on stage don't they and it f- basically on stage it flashes back to the points of his life at the point he's talking about at that time which leads to him writing his first musical is that fair is that the way you yeah, describe yeah, yeah. it yeah it's the way it's edited is really clever yeah um, like i love the editing and essentially the reason i watched it i'm not gonna lie is because minwell wrote a review about it and just said 
um i think i think i'd seen her say positive things about la la land so i thought we were on the same page is that right she loves she loves oh so without misquoting i'm uh, she does love musicals so okay um there's a yeah so she i think i I think she really likes la la land um she's a massive massive fan of lin-manuel miranda now i I know that um uh as we said on the pod, we've gushed over Mr. Garfield a few times now. Uh, when we did the Social Network, when I talked about rewatching Spider-Man after Kate reviewed them, um, so yeah, I did a bit of behind the scenes and like finding out what happened with this. So basically, Andrew Garfield at this point he hadn't done he'd worked in the theatre, but he hadn't done any musicals, and he basically said he was never a musical kid. So he went away for a year and a half and trained his voice to be able to do this part. Uh, and the director was waiting for him literally to get ready to be able to do this and at some point i believe it was in the production either just before his mother died and the film is a lot about dealing with grief and loss because it's set in the 90s across the 80s and the 90s isn't it and it's during the aids crisis so he loses a lot of his friends and the tick tick boom name is in reference to a lot of things in his life it's about making sure he finishes his musical in time for for this deadline it's about yeah. the fact that... Before his, it all caves, isn't it? Before it all caves, he's got his friends' lives. They're dying in their early 30s or, you know, mid-20s because of, like, the horrendous crisis that was going on at the time. And then also the fact that he's got a relationship with his partner, played by Alexandra Ship, who plays Susan, who gets a new role. And basically she says, I need to decide by the end of the week if I'm going or not. And essentially it's about the tick tick boom is the clock for him making all these decisions and yeah it's a crux point and also he's obsessed with the idea of Stephen Sondheim who's a famous a famous composer had got many a stage show by the time he was 30 he'd had his first successful break and he feels the need that he has to get there before 30 so that's think, the yeah we follow I do think it is a it is a film about obsession in many ways because yeah and there's I'd, so the first what half an hour of this film i really was not enjoying it at all so like, i really loved the happy birthday song i thought that's really catchy actually i really like it but yeah i felt like the the acting was a bit hammy um do you, now but mark commode said it was like a theater performance did you feel that or were you not um going is that what you said um i don't know like i, I really liked andrew garfield in it like he I feel like the whole film was very Oscar baity. I said that to you, didn't I? When I texted you, I said like, this for me is is his not performance. just his not just his performance, but the whole film in general felt like I want to try and win some Oscars. I feel like, yeah. and it feels like, and, and do you know what? After me saying all that stuff, people listening might be like, Jamie doesn't like it. No, no, I really by the end of it, I give it eight out of ten. Like I really liked it. I, yeah. I thought it was, I thought it was brilliant in in so many different ways, and I think that. After I'd got over those, like, initial feelings, I was like... Because you know what? For me, the best musical... That, my favourite musical probably is La La Land. Um, and I've seen I've seen quite a few musicals. I haven't seen um, the, the French musical with Gene Kelly. Like, I've literally got it downstairs. It's on the BFI Blu-ray. Um, Les Desmoiselles, uh, Demouchettes or something. I, I can't remember what it's called specifically. But all I know is that La La Land's my favourite musical. Um, yeah. I love films about music. But yeah. this, so the initial half an hour, I was like, oh no, this is not where I need it to be. Um, but then the story really gripped me. It's got some really good songs. 
the, mm-hmm. the performances are good. It, like, it's not hammy at all. Like, I, I don't know what I was... I don't know why I felt like that in the first half an hour. I think maybe Did you because... Feel like that? I think because the first bit is he's presented on the stage and he is performing at a theatre. Yeah. And then it frames it back in his life. But it's intercut with that musical number. So I feel like that's probably part of it. And there's also the scene where his his housemate, Michael, moves out, played by Robin... Robin De, uh, Robin De Jesus bloody hell that took a long time to get out and when he moves out he gets a corporate job and he's basically he's chastised by Jonathan he's like why do you want the corporate life why are you giving up on the dream and he's like I'm giving up on the dream because I'm a gay man and I'm I'm living during an AIDS crisis I don't know don't know how long I've got left to live loads of our friends have died what's wrong with me wanting to have nice things while I can and work my way up and he tries to help Jonathan at multiple times he gets in roles in marketing in like question um uh what they called survey groups you know what i mean uh yeah focus groups sorry yeah etc um and basically makes andrew realize sorry andrew <laughs> makes jonathan realize that he's lucky to be essentially a, a white middle-class man living in new york with straight man in new york in a time where he could basically walk in and out of roles it's kind of the point yeah. he's making but his his dream he's saying like it's achievable but you've just got to stick with it and yeah he basically ends up writing his musical and you would think the end of the film is the musical gets performed and everything goes great but that's not the end the end of the film is essentially he makes his first musical and everyone's like yeah yeah it's pretty good write your next one off yeah. you go again yeah, and get bored. he basically finds out that he's just entered a new grind the grind wasn't like finding this final song the whole film is about writing this final song to complete his musical and then he finds out even after he's done that it's not the end you've got to keep going and yeah it's it's he the the sad tale is that Jonathan Larson never really saw how successful his career became, and um, because his show, I don't want to misquote which show it was, but it got large after he died, so he doesn't really know how well how successful he was. Which reminded me of Steve Larson, who wrote the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo trilogy, and then they were released and never really saw the international acclaim they got or the fact they got adapted into films and all this stuff. And yeah, it makes you think. So yeah, essentially. The big numbers in the film, like you've just talked about the birthday one. Um, the other big number that stood out for me, I'm just, I'm not going to lie. I'm looking on my phone now to see what the title is so I don't misquote. So the Arab Khaleesi writes in and she says, Did any part of the film, Larson's story and the film's message, resonate with you guys in any way? Only asking because as a lost person in my 20s, Tick Tick Boom really resonated with me. So... I think, like, I really love this question. So what um, Minwa's saying is that basically the Larson's story and the film's message is that it's about, uh, we see, we've seen it before, like, art, he's an artist and he's struggling to get his big break. He's got no money. He's extremely talented. Um, we've seen we've seen artists go mad as well, like, sort of like Vincent van Gogh, um, that kind of thing. So... For you, John, like what, like when you look at someone's story like that, how, what how, did you resonate with it? What part of the film did you resonate with? I know where I did, certainly. So it's going to link back actually to the two songs. So we just mentioned two songs. Two songs are Come to Your Senses and Louder Than Words are the two big ones for me. Um, and what I would say about those songs, it's very much in keeping with the, the theme of the film, which is Come to Your Senses is about making a decision. 
Yeah. You know the scene where um, he's imagining that his partner's singing the song. He's imagining Susan singing it on the rooftop and he's sat They're there on the rooftop, and he's yeah. deciding. And then louder than words, again, speaks in life. It is true. Actions do speak louder than words. You can say all the nice things in the world, but unless you follow through and act as a nice and decent human being, then it's worthless. So, sorry, reframe your question. You're saying to me what what stuck out as... So, Larson's story in the film's message, like, so... so so for me like we'll, we'll we'll both maybe look at look at it in different ways like what what did it re- what resonated with you in the film in like looking at larson's life as an artist or just as a person or the film in general what specifically resonated with you i think the ticking bomb aspect it's called tick tick boom because we talk about the ticking clocks and all the things going on in his life uh i think i watched it I've recently lost someone in my family. I lost my nan the other week, and I think I was quite emotional when I watched the film anyway. But what I think is the film's about like time, and he he says at one point there's just not enough time with anybody. Should have been directed by Chris Nolan, really. <laughs> and what I take from that is I'm in that I don't know I'm in that time frame where a lot of films at the moment make me emotional that probably wouldn't normally and you think about things yeah, in a different ways but you do think of time and about like have you spent enough time with people have you done everything you could do and, and all those kind of things so i took that message from it but also the scene about where his friend michael's kind of climbing the corporate ladder because he's decided that he's kind of given up on the dream but i also yeah. think he makes a very valid justification which is not everyone will live out their dreams i think it's unrealistic for everyone to think they would now this might sound a bit miserable but on the on the basis of people want different things at different stages of their life some people know at a young age they want to do a thing and they follow that through and they do it and they achieve it and it's amazing other people might say i want to do this and then reach a certain age and your goals change and your ideas change and the tick tick boom could be the when you reach a certain age maybe there's an expectation of what you should do by now or like we're both what um early 30s or approaching early 30s yeah. there's an expectation that maybe we should be buying a house right now you've already done it like uh, you know, there's this stage in life where you have to do certain things, right? And like, well, that's what society expects. That's what society that expects. And and yeah. uh, Jonathan Larson feels that in the film, he's like, you know, I'm still living in a one bed flat in New York. I don't own. A pro- I'm still renting. I don't own a property. I haven't got a family. I haven't got you know. So I think a lot of that could be shared in terms of. Yeah. Does that does that make sense? And also, yeah, yeah, no, it does. Yeah. In terms I- of the work aspect thing, I think you know. I think I probably wanted to be a film editor, like yeah, Heart yeah. of Hearts, when I started out. Yeah. But, you know, like the logistics and realities of life are that, I don't know, like maybe I could have pursued that. I don't know, but I just, it's not. Okay, I'm, I'm sure, I'm I, sure you probably could have, and you've definitely got the the talent to have done it, but. Thanks. But no, I, I just, I'm more so, yeah, I just, I think at certain ages, your priorities change. And I would say like this film was a good representation for me that Michael's still happy by the end of the film. He's taken a different yeah. path, but he's happy. But Larson's character, I felt like he wasn't truly happy at the end. He's miserable either. because he's obsessed with. And it was the torture by the art situation. Achieve. Anyway, yeah. for you, what was your takeaway from you know the ethos of it, or, or sorry, the the messaging of the film? Yeah, I mean, so like first of all, like I guess that I did. I do firstly want to touch on your point of like societal pressures of what we should do, like it's quite embarrassing that we are all expected to live a certain life and we are expected to live a certain life. We're all expected most not like what a normal thing to do in, in our, where we live anyway, in our country, um, is to get a job, work till you're 67 years old, but buy a house as well. That's, that's now, um, 150 to 
275 to 300 grand and pay that house off for your whole life, which is what a mortgage is called, which in Latin actually means death loan, um, which is hilarious. And so when our parents, and, and without getting political, like I'm not going to get political, but we know that like inflation completely doesn't match like how wages are rising as well. Like, and so it makes me, when I watch a film like this, I'm like, mm, yeah, like what, what, um, what's the, what's this, what's his friend's name? Did you say, sorry, Michael. So when Michael, yeah. So what Michael does, Michael stops pursuing his dream and he works in advertising and that's heartbreaking to me. So, so for me, so like, growing up uh i so i am a relatively creative person i think like um i was I yeah was you're band. into music and like yeah 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 so i was like lead singer of a band for like years um and i was really really wanted to make that work so much and i thought that we were good enough to 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 like be a real band and we did gigs and stuff like and i was like imagine if we get signed and but then the the as as this film says that like the clock's ticking like when I was like 18 years old, I'm like, I'm working and I'm working, I'm doing this band as well. And I'm, I've got to go and I've got to go and do shows at certain times. I've got to drive my own car there and transport everyone's stuff. And it's, it's hassle and you write music and all these kinds of things. And, and eventually like you do have to sort of like look at yourself and be like, make a decision. Yeah. And, and I didn't have the money, like mummy and daddy didn't have the money to be like, Oh, Jamie, like, it's fine. Like, we you, we can see you're really passionate about this. We're, we're going to just give you the money, like, so you can just continue to do it. Like, I didn't have any of that. So it was just very much like, go get your ass a job or you've got nowhere to live. Like, and yeah. that is just what it was like. And so that, it makes me sad that, like, I, I don't really care now because I'm 32 and I'm, I'm, I'm pretty happy, really happy with my life. And I, I really love my job. But the, to think that, what would be better um doing this podcast full-time like so th for for me my other my other creative vice is this like this is this podcast is something that like i absolutely love doing and that we both love doing and we were both super passionate about it and can you imagine like luckily we get to work really busy jobs um we also get to do something that's our passion like watch films and then we re get to record it and and we have a little listener base which is which is amazing but imagine like i'm clinging on to to just a bit of hope that like maybe one day someone will be like do you know what these these guys are pretty good like can they like people tell us we're good but these guys are pretty good and they're really entertaining like let's get let's let's pay them for it and we'll be like yeah cool we'll we'll just do our jobs part-time and we'll do this full-time and we can dream what a life that would be i feel like i've been rambling on fridges but that's genuinely how i feel like i i, I feel do like have you... creative parts of my body that but i have to just work because maybe i'm but then you have jonathan larson that maybe was in a similar position to me and quite clearly doesn't have any money anywhere. And he has the obsession that he will one day make it the absolute drive and obsession to do it for years and years and years and never give up. Some people would say that was stupid. I want, I'd love to know that if you look <sighs> at everyone and give them all an equal opportunity, what they could achieve. It's, it's such a what if thing. Cause it's like, also he had an aorta aneurysm which is like a random thing from what I understand. My nan, that's how my nan died. But <laughs> Funny. Yeah. Yeah. That's mad. But um, yeah, it's just, I don't know. Would he look back and think, what a waste. I committed all that time and I didn't yeah. enjoy it. My you just don't know. Like You who, lost your relationship. Who knows? Who knows? You sacrifice it all for, yeah. for, for, for art or is, are you even, 
are you even passionate about it, Emil? So the, so the one thing that I do want to say is that the the only time... So he's obsessed with writing this musical, and the only time he actually does pay his uh, girlfriend any attention is when the power goes out. So the power goes out, and he cannot do anything. Yes. So the first thing he does is he, call, he then remembers her because the power's out and he can't do what he's... use her computer. <laughs> yeah, that's what he was calling up for, yeah, <laughs> yeah. literally. Um, and that's probably what, what he would have been calling up for if she'd have answered. But that's yeah. the only time he, saw, he talks about her. And, She's, and so, yeah. She is neglected in the film and like the film doesn't shy away from that aspect, but she also does support him even after the fact. But the, the number that really got me, um, when there's a scene where he's really frustrated that, uh, sorry, Jonathan's character is really frustrated because the music's not coming to him. Uh, he knows Susan's leaving. I think one of his friends has just died, or no, they. I, um, I, I can't remember if they've died or they're, or they're in a hostel because there's a few characters that are yeah, in the there's, background. There's a f- yeah, yeah. And what happens essentially is uh, he he runs through, I think it's in Central Park, I'm not sure. He runs and he runs, it's freezing yeah. cold, it's winter, he's got his big black coat on. And then all of a sudden, there's like a he sees a piano on this stage. Yeah. And he goes on. I think the track is why I believe when he's at the piano. I don't. So this is my favorite track, and this is my favorite track as well. And powerful. When he, I think it is called Why. Basically, he's questioning all the things going on in life. You know, um, do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take a short break, and I'm going to get the lyrics up so I can actually not just talk about this. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll be back after a short break from movies in a pod shell. Uh, thank you so much. Welcome back to Movies in a Pod Shell after that short break. Um, here's John with Why. Well, yeah, he's basically questioning lots of different things in life. So he, he talks about at a young age, like he was taking part in musicals. Then he's like saying it was a way to express himself and what, what a great thing to be on stage. And then, yeah, he's just questioning all these different things. What's going on in his life? He talks about what a way to spend the day. I make a vow right here, right now. I'm going to spend my time, my time this way. I'm going to spend my time this yeah. way, and it's doing the thing he loves, which is writing music. But it's just, yeah, it gets you. I don't know. The, the other it thing does I, pull on the heartstrings. He's got a fantastic voice as well. Context as well to this, and I think I briefly mentioned this to start the pod and didn't actually did. tail off on it. Andrew Garfield's mother died, and I don't know if it was during the production or just beforehand. And she recommended him musical theatre at one point. As oh, theatre, sorry, theatre production as an outlet because of the fact that he was quite difficult at school and he was actually training to be a skater and then he got an injury and couldn't do it anymore and his career was going nowhere. So that's when he started doing the acting gigs and he talks about his first um, acting uh, interview and it was with Ryan Gosling was in the room, not Hall. who was it? It was Ryan Gosling, Killian Murphy and someone else and he was like, how am I in a room with these people? And Ben Wilshaw, he's like, how am I in a room with these people? Um, and yeah, his theatre stuff kind of, kicked him into yeah becoming who yeah. he is today being you know being the star he is but the point i was going to make was um he channels that when his his mother passing in that song i think that's what chokes me up because he's just question he's literally questioning life like not from the side like he's not suicidal but he's just questioning all the boundaries that are around him in his life he's like why are things this way why you know what why have i been led to this point and why are things not going my way and that might yeah. sound quite self-involved, but I think no. everybody in life at some point goes, hold on, I've you know put this much graft in and then things are going wrong. What's what's going on here? It's not what was promised. It's what we've done for... Well, and it, and it probably resonated with you even more because of 
because of what you've just gone through as well like so I'd imagine yeah. like it hits that those emotional like I said to you like in general I've watched a few things recently where I am obviously more emotionally charged watching stuff than yeah, I am normally course. so I'm normally not that bad I'm not really a cryo at films like Jamie will admit like he said on the pod before like he will shed a tear at stuff that I'm a bit like really really a bit oh yeah like I <laughs> yeah but recently, it's weird I recently never, never really bothered about anything else but like when it comes yeah. to the film yeah, I will sort of like, yeah, sometimes films do get me. And that, that part did get me a bit like... I, that Yeah, it, that, I the, will admit that got me. I didn't full on cry, but I was just like, yeah, that's... But that's even, even when you him. find out um, Michael's HIV positive... Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's heartbreaking. Like, there's there's yeah. there's so many parts of the film. It, it's it's just got so many layers. And, and I think once I'd got underneath those layers, that's when I really started enjoying the film. So but that yeah. got a little heavy. I think we should move on to some lovely questions from our listeners. Well, so <laughs> we can, we've got, we've got, um, a really couple of nice questions to end with. So, um, Kate reviews films right in. She says, no question. I just want John to gush about Garfield as Spider-Man, please. Oh, Kate. Thanks. Um, I mean, I have gushed about Garfield a lot today, but let, let's go again. Um, he is still my favorite Spider-Man. I have recently read a uh, Spider-Man. What if, and it was about if Spider-Man had stuck with being Venom. And whenever I read a Spider-Man graphic novel now, I always have Andrew Garfield's voice in my head. Like, he is... You know, like, when you... He's, I don't know if you do it. Do you cast people when you read books? So you're like, okay, so-and-so's voice is that. So-and-so's no, voice is that. No, I don't, no. Oh, no. I'm, I'm, I've, yeah, I've got my full cast list of, like, that's who's who, right? And when I was reading that through, I was like, always his voice. Um, Yeah, I, I, I think I've talked about him a bit on the pod before. He's, I don't want to do come around again. I just think... I genuinely think he's probably the best actor who's played him. That's He's an extremely underrated actor in general. Yeah. Just in general. Like, extremely underrated actor in general. Yeah, and uh, I know we're not supposed to talk about um, whatever the third Spider-Man film that's coming is going to be called, but I hope to God he is in it. It won't Spider-Man No Way Home. It won't live up to my expectation in whatever way I want it to, because in my mind, I still want to see Amazing Spider-Man 3, which again is an unpopular opinion, but I still think he was the best actor uh, who's played it. I think that uh he he nailed um the frustrations we've talked about this we've nailed the frustrations of peter parker but he's just a very good actor like it's as simple as that he's people very... can complain what's your thoughts on when people say because he's my favorite spider-man as well but when people say that oh yeah he's too cool to be spider-man i th- too cool my... he's too cool to be peter parker so i think what they did was they went with the ultimate spider-man in ultimate spider-man peter parker's updated like every so many years in different interpretations and in the ultimate yeah. spider-man he was more of a social outcast and a bit arrogant rather than being a like a nerd because in the 60s one he's a nerd but he does have friends like it's only in the Maguire films where they cast him as everyone oh, no but you know right. in the Maguire one it's like so, everyone hates him for no reason so leads us on to our final question oh Film Forager writes in and she says, Marry, shag, kill, Toby, Andrew, Tom. So what she's saying, <laughs> Toby Maguire, uh, Andrew Garfield and Tom Holland. John, you have to marry one, have sex with one and kill one. Um, thanks, Film Forager. This is, this is... Let's go. <laughs> do you know what? We, we needed to bring the pod back up um, and this is the way to do it. Wow. So, marry um, Garfield for sure. You're um, marrying Garfield, right? Okay, cool. Probably killing Mag- Maguire because I'm not that bothered. Uh, yeah. And then, yeah, I suppose that leaves me you, with Mr. Holland himself. Mr. Uncharted. Or, or okay. Apparently so. Uh, Hypothetically, right, okay. yeah. <laughs> well, okay, cool. So, 
I am killing Toby Maguire because I hate him. Why do you hate him though? That's interesting. Oh, I don't man. hate him. I just don't oh. like him as that much in Spider Man. He just he's annoys so, me. So, so when we when you came around mine, we watched the Spy Who Loved Me. We then followed it up with the 4K version that was on oh, streaming on Amazon God. Prime of um of Spider Man. And do you know what? I just hate him. Like, cause he's like someone that makes you feel happy and sad. Someone oh, that makes you strong and weak. Yeah, and yeah, I like, yeah, yeah. just. Get out of town, Toby Maguire. But You're what, dead. What I like in Toby Maguire in that film, I'd go though, pure carry on him. I'd he, go carry on him. I'd put him on fire. He is like the '60s one, though, like being so dweeby, and I think that is part of the point. But what I would say is, he's not a good actor. And do you know what made it worse? Uh, sorry, carry on, John, and he, then we'll talk about what made it worse. Isn't he really good mates with Leo? That like, that's why he got a load of films at the time. Leonardo DiCaprio. Mm-hmm. They were really pally for a long oh, time. I'd be gutted if they were. That's friends. why they did. Um, Ah, uh, Gatsby together. Anyway, no, carry on, carry on. So I'm guessing, so yeah, you've killed... Well, when we watch Caravan, is it Caravan of Garbage? So yeah, I I have mentioned them before and Jamie's told me off, but now he's watched them and liked them. He's allowing the plug. Caravan of Garbage is done by Mr. Sunday Movies. Mr. Sunday Movies is a guy who's a podcaster in Australia and also has a YouTube channel. And basically, Caravan of Garbage is they take films, good or bad, and they review them and they, they kind of rip them apart and... Some of the things they say about Spider-Man one, two, and three crap. They, hate, they me yeah, up. but they hate Toby Maguire. Like, so Toby oh, Maguire was hated like on set. Not. He's just not a very nice guy, apparently. And I, that's look, fine. A, he's not a very nice guy. Allegedly, I have read. Yeah, um, allegedly. <laughs> um, so he's dead, right? Um, now I definitely have sex with Andrew Garfield because he's just <laughs> really fit. Like, just a really fit guy. Um, and How Tom has the Holland podcast just, come to this? For me, Tom Holland seems to just a bit. He's a bit too much of a boy, a bit too young. Like, just feel a bit, feel a bit weird. But John's okay with that. John's okay. Oh God! How old is Tom Holland now? Let's Google quick. You better Tom Google Holland him before you right, get in trouble, saying? mate. Tom Holland. <laughs> no, he's fine. Age. I'm sure he's about <laughs> twenty-five. So he's only, what? Oh, three lucky years you, be. mate. Why are you sweating? <laughs> Jeez. And Can then, I just say, um, do you remember when we started the podcast? It was all like, oh yeah, and we're going to do like this in-depth review of seven, and we're going to we're going to post it against and then it's like episode what we on twenty-six. So who who would you shag, marry, avoid? Oh wow, <laughs> like this went um, downhill fast. Uh, well, it's it's do you know do you know whose fault it is? Chandra's. The listeners. It's the listeners' yeah. fault because they bring it down. We've got we're we're trying to do an intellectual sci-fi episode, and I'm getting asked if I'm going to shag Tom Holland, <laughs> and the answer's no, um, because it's, the answer's yeah, Andrew Garfield, please. and so, I want to marry Tom Holland. Can I just okay? say I'm still not as uncomfortable as when Kate asked about who I was throwing in the wood chipper, and that was that was yes, the worst. Yes, yes. Yeah. So <laughs> and then I went a bit ham. So the reason I just want to bring you to the reason the reason why um, my choice would be Tom Holland. And I, I just think it'd just be, he's, he's quite nice. Like, yeah. he seems quite funny, down to earth, up for a laugh. I feel the reason why it wouldn't be Andrew Garfield is because he, I just feel like it'd be a bit emo. Our relationship would be a, just a bit emo. Like, yeah, but a bit drama. He's a bit, a bit, ang- it. just, it, the relationship would be a bit angsty. Like, Imagine just the amount of pop asked. punk you could listen to, like, in the meantime to get through it. I don't yes. think it'd be pop punk. I think it'd be like, the Daredevil soundtrack at all times, or, no, no, <laughs> which it, is fine. It would be like um, when Coldplay play Till Kingdom Come in Amazing Spider-Man, yeah. which I love as a needle drop, by the way. Anyway. No, yeah. thanks. Um, wow. <laughs> so that was what a way to end the show. Hopefully um, anyone important listening switched off. Um, <laughs> uh, right. So 
I guess the next episode is going to be in December, which means, John, it's your choice. On a Majesty's Secret Service, 100%. It's the official Christmas films that aren't Christmas films, and it might not be the lead film. It might be a different one, but On a Majesty's Secret Service is 100% getting watched. You are coming over. And... On Her Majesty's Secret Service, Christmas films that aren't Christmas films. Is it getting paired with Die Hard? Yes, it is. Die Hard and on Her Majesty's Secret Service, episode 27. Tune in. As always, guys, you can write in to moviesinapodshow at gmail.com. You can also find me at moviesinanutshell on Instagram. You can find John at jcb.video. And that's a wrap, guys. Thank you so much. As always, if you're going to go rate us on your Apple device, go and do that. We only accept five stars. If you give us anything less, just don't bother rating us. We don't care about your opinion. Um, but thank you so much and we'll see you next time. Shitty bye.